Charlie owned the night, but we own the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. A Medicare podcast stuck in time. Ready or not, here he comes, Medicare expert, Doug Jones. Well, 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 look who's here again. It is the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast coming to you all the way from not sunny, not warm Arizona. Of course, it's January. What what should I expect? I shouldn't be disappointed or surprised at this weather, but in any event, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. We are on a mission to have people feel more comfortable and more confident about their upcoming encounter with Medicare. And often people ask me, Doug, why don't I feel more confident about my encounter with Medicare? In the last episode, I read a letter from a woman who is not confident at all. She's been working for six months, torturing herself, and she was throwing up her hands in despair, asking for help. Well, I can make Medicare enrollment uh, a, um, a painless experience and even a rewarding experience in very short order by dealing with me. You will know what the choices are, and what the proper or the best choice is for you. Now, the way you can find this out is uh, to purchase my book, Medicare for the Lazy Man. Right now, the 2023 edition is the most current one, but before too long, I'll have the 2024 edition finished and up for sale on Amazon.com as well as BarnesandNoble.com. So when you go buy Medicare for the Lazy Man, whichever year, uh, edition you wind up with, you're going to find all the important facts about Medicare that will allow you to be confident when it comes to making your choices. Now, you might have other questions after that, so I put my contact information in that book so that you can contact me and we can discuss your particular situation to ensure that you haven't overlooked any details and uh, to be sure that you're following the right course. So by all means, go to Amazon.com or uh, barnesandnoble.com and purchase one of the four editions of Medicare for the Lazy Man. And you will be a Medicare expert by the time you finish that very short read. You're going to be very proud of yourself because you'll have more Medicare knowledge than almost anybody in the United States. So that's my suggestion to you, and I hope it pays off handsomely for you. And I'm here with Randy Carson. Randy doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to ask him a very pithy question. Randy, it's good to see you again. Good morning, Doug. You know, I am really disappointed, as you mentioned earlier, not not warm, not dry, not sunny. It's 56 degrees, and my phone just told me, guess what? It's going to start raining in about 20 minutes. Well, I'll tell you right now, you're down the hill from us where the weather is a little warmer, the air is a little warmer because you're at lower altitude. My computer is telling me that it's 49 degrees at my house. So uh, so you yeah. and I have something to whine about here. But I just wanted to tell you that I uh, this question has been burning in my brain since the last time you and I recorded because we did have a discussion about animals, specifically yes. ranch animals. You you uh, were raised on a ranch in yes. uh, west western, was it western Nebraska? Western Nebraska. Okay. And so uh, we talked about the hooved animals and how they sleep. 
how they are locking, they are able to lock their joints together so they can sleep standing up, which mm-hmm. I guess is like a survival technique because if a saber-toothed tiger is sneaking up on you and you uh, are awakened from a deep sleep, you want to be ready to run either to defend yourself or to get away from the danger that's lurking in the night. Right. That's right. That's my guess as to what function that sleeping standing up occurs. But my question to you is, have you ever seen a graceful cow or an ungainly horse that get themselves up off the ground? Oh, in a yeah. Way that, yeah. That, that, have you ever seen a cow that gets up like a horse? <laughs> it's, it's not a pretty sight. It's, uh, it's very difficult for them to get up. Uh, it, it's just not a really pretty sight because they are not getting up from laying on the ground. It is not a, it's not something that's uh, normal for them. Yeah. But I, I used to work on, uh, well, you told, you knew that when I first moved out here, I managed a ranch, right? You've told me that. I didn't know when it was, whether it was your first arrival or. Yeah, some other time. it was within, within the first couple of years when I moved out here, I managed a, a ranch that rescued, uh, horses in need of a place to live uh-huh. and you know if a horse people that know horses this isn't going to be a big surprise but if you're not around horses a lot people are under the impression that horses never sleep laying that they always sleep standing up which they yeah. do probably more often than not but that's not the only way they sleep and we had a and we had a whole bunch of uh, you know 35 40 head of horses and because they were so comfortable where we had them, you know, they were there, uh-huh. you know, they, they knew they were safe and, you know, nobody lurking around. And because horses are a prey animal, oh. they, they, they believe that, you know, everything in the world is out to kill them. Okay. So they're they're they, awful skittish. They are. Oh, jumping. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so if they were that comfortable, they would, <laughs> they would lay down all of them oh, in okay. the corral on their sides and i kid you not it looked like you know some alien had come through and killed all of our horses <laughs> but they were laying on their sides sleeping and i kid you not the, the audience isn't going to believe me they're going to think i'm jerking their chain but some of them snored no kidding well well what i was thinking about was the fact that when i have seen cows get up they're really ungainly because yeah. they get up with their butts in the air first yeah and, and yeah. then the last part of the process is pushing themselves up with their four, four legs. Yeah. Where, whereas horses tend to get up with the front end first and then the back end follows. That's my yeah, observation. Right. I, I never really thought about it, but you're right. Cows always get up, butt first. Yeah. And that's and really horse, ungainly compared and, to the horse. And horses don't, and horses don't. Yeah. So I'm, I was wondering if you had any insight on that, but the other thing is, have you ever seen a, a, a an animal, either a horse or a cow, do the opposite when they're getting up? Uh, that I'm going to have to do some research. I don't remember ever seeing that. I I don't ever remember seeing a cow get up the other way. I may have seen a horse get up the other way. I was a psychology major, and I they study a lot of stupid things. The federal government wastes so much money on psychological studies; it's it's uh, criminal, almost criminal. But they're they're they always study the effect of nurture versus nature. In other words, yeah. are you innately equipped to do something or do you learn to do it from your, uh, from your surroundings? Right. And one of the, one of the interesting experience I heard about was that you get a big cage full of monkeys and these monkeys are, you know, they have a pecking order and they, 
they have a uh, mountain in the middle of this big cage. And so there's above the mountain is a banana hanging up there. And so when these monkeys get in the cage, the alpha monkey says, well, I'm going to go up and get that banana. As he climbs up, cold water flows down and soaks all the monkeys in the cage. And it's very unpleasant for them. So the next time he goes up to get that banana, more cold water comes splashing down, soaking all the monkeys. Eventually, the monkeys do not have any interest in the banana. And in fact, if a monkey tries to go get the banana, the other monkeys will stop it because they don't want to get soaked. <laughs> yeah. Now, what they do is, here's what the scientists do in studying monkey behavior. They'll put a brand new monkey into that cage that's never been in the cage before, never seen what happens. The monkey will immediately say, I don't know why nobody else is going after that banana, but it looks pretty tasty to me. I'm going to climb the hill in the middle of the cage and get that banana for myself since nobody else seems to want it. They will, the other monkeys will beat the crap out of that monkey to stop him <laughs> and to teach him a lesson. Don't ever go after that banana because don't, we'll all get soaked. Don't touch the banana, buddy. Right. And pretty soon, and they take a, an old monkey out and put a different new monkey in, and that monkey gets the crap beaten out of him because he learns quickly. The other monkeys don't want me going after that banana. I don't want to get the crap beaten out of me. I'm not going to go after the banana. And pretty soon, one by one, they replace all of the monkeys. And now they've got a bunch of monkeys that can't climb the mountain to get the banana, but they don't know why. All yeah. they know is they've been taught that that banana is not for them. They're not allowed to go get it. It's like a religion. And all the monkeys in the cage have never, none of the monkeys have ever seen anybody get doused with ice water. They just know that going after that banana is against the rules. They've and never so, got, they've never seen the original problem. Right. So I'm wondering, let's suppose that there's a horse out there in a herd of cows yeah. and he's a baby horse, but uh, somehow he manages to uh, survive. And, and uh, I'm just wondering if a baby horse would try to get up the way cows do, or if it would do the way horses do just because it's better physically, it's uh, his physicality is more equipped for rising from the front first and then the back at the, the last step. So, oh, that's I a great know. question. That is a great, I really like that monkey story. Um, it reminded me of something I had a way back. Well, you know, I like psychology too. So uh, uh, way back in the day when I was doing my undergrad, yeah, I, I took a lot of psychology courses. And one of the first classes I ever took, um, the professor that taught that class. Now you talk about government grants that you're going, oh, this is a waste of money. Uh, this this professor was working off of a government grant studying the sex lives of monkeys. Oh, boy. Uh, okay. I don't know what he expected to learn that we don't already know. Don't climb the mountain. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Well, that's that's certainly um, value uh, valuable information for monkeys to have. I think uh, since we've already blown about 10 minutes on the old clock, Exactly. Maybe, we have blown 10 minutes. Exactly. So we're right on schedule. Yeah. So I think probably I should dig into our, uh, our information, our Medicare content for today as curated by the content curator for the Medicare for the lazy man podcast. So I've got an article here that asks, what should you do if your medication is not covered by insurance Four tips and tactics? And this was written on the day before my birthday, a year ago. So I'm hoping these tips and tactics are still uh, germane to the subject of filing a uh, 
an amendment or a, a, a an appeal for your insurance. But it starts out by saying the key takeaways in this article are that insurance companies don't cover some medications. That often leaves consumers responsible for the full cost of the medication. If your prescription is not covered, you can try generics or other alternatives. You may qualify for a patient assistance program that manufacturers sometimes have to defray the cost of their product. Um, it's a manufacturer's co-pay program that can help you cover the costs. Or if an insurance company won't cover your medication, you can ask for an exception. If that doesn't work, you can appeal the coverage decision. It's a frustrating thing when your health insurance won't cover your medication. Often a drug appears on a formulary, which is a list of drugs put out by the company, uh, the list of medications that are covered by a particular insurance plan is a formulary. Uh, so a drug may appear there and then may get dropped. This can happen if a medication is seldom used or if there's a generic available or if there's a more affordable option. Uh, whatever the reason, you're stuck with the full cost despite having coverage for the prescribed medication. Here's what you can do if your prescription medication is not covered. Number one, talk to your doctor about alternatives. If you notice that one of your medications has been dropped from the coverage or has gotten to be more expensive, ask your doctor about generics and alternative medications that may be more affordable. You may also be able to find a lower price for that prescription with good RX or another discount card. If you can't find a lower cost option that works for you, um, your doctor may still be able to help you. Try requesting a 90-day supply instead of a 30-day supply. It may be a better value than filing for this, this shorter uh, supply. Or you can try getting a prescription for a higher dose pill. You should ask your doctor and pharmacist if the medication will work if you cut a pill or a dose in half to save money. Asking for free samples of the medication. Yeah, that's going to make you the doctor's favorite patient. Um, you can also ask for an exception from your insurer. If you and your doctor cannot find an affordable option together, speak with the insurance plan about making a formulary exception and providing coverage for your drug. <clears throat> your doctor will most likely need to submit supporting statements, sometimes called a letter of medical necessity, detailing that your drug is medically necessary and that any alternatives would have an adverse effect. Note, some plans will require that you agree to step therapy before your exception gets approved. Step therapy is a type of prior authorization that requires you to try a less costly medication that is on the plan's formulary to prove it's not effective for you or that it has adverse effects. And then you can move up a step to the one you're re requesting. The medication you need is on your plan's formulary, but it's high tier or non-preferred, you can still ask your insurer for an exception. Um, High-tiered or non-preferred medications will cost you more out-of-pocket. If you're approved for this tier exception, uh, this will help lower your out-of-pocket costs. You can also apply for patient assistance or a manufacturer copay program. Patient assistance and manufacturer copay programs help people save on specific medications, particularly costly brand name medications that are often not covered by insurance. These programs can reduce the out-of-pocket cost to zero per month for people with and without insurance. Keep in mind, patient assistant programs generally serve the uninsured, while manufacturer copay problems or programs 
are for those with insurance. You can typically find these programs on the websites of the drug manufacturers. The companies often have partnerships with nonprofit organizations that connect people in need with medication discounts. You can also find these programs through GoodRx. Just search for your medication on GoodRx.com and scroll down to the information about ways to save. And finally, you can reconsider your health plan during an enrollment period. If you notice that your plan no longer covers your prescription medication, find a plan that has the medication on its formulary. If you are enrolling in original Medicare or a Medicare Advantage plan, be sure to use the Medicare Plan Finder tool to identify the Medicare Part D prescription drug plan that covers the medications you need. And that Plan Finder tool is at www.ssa slash Medicare slash plan dash compare. And I have that URL and steps to follow in my 2023 book. But of course, right after I wrote that book, they changed the whole uh, Medicare plan finding procedure. Uh, So now the drug plans are searchable in the same place by a different set of steps. And the 2024 book is going to have those steps. But if you go to that website and check it out, I think you're going to find that it's pretty easy, even for the layman to uh, enter their, their uh, drugs and to find the cheapest plan available in their area. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the cheapest available drug plan that covers all your drugs or it comes as close to it as possible. Out of the 25 or so drug plans that are available in your area, there's going to be one that's the best. There's going to be number two that's second best, number three that's third best. And uh, the uh, ones that are not the best are completely ridiculously expensive. Don't even consider them. Go for the cheapest plan. And so we have a related article. It says how to file an appeal for prescription drug coverage, the same type of thing. Let's see if it says anything different or elaborates on uh, some of the things that we already discussed. If you have explored other options for lowering your prescription drug costs with no luck, you can file an internal appeal with your insurance plan. The exact process will depend on your insurer but it often requires that you complete all the forms required by the insurance plan and submit any information you want to have considered, such as a letter from your doctor explaining that the medication is medically necessary. If you need help, contact the Consumer Assistance Program in your state. If you're enrolled in Medicare, you can also get free help from a state insurance assistance program Uh, That is SHIP. You might hear the term SHIP occasionally. That's an organization that theoretically is um, non-biased, a a non-biased source of Medicare advice. If your appeal is for a medication that you have not started taking yet, the insurer must complete the internal review within 30 days. If it's for a medication you've already started taking, the review must be completed within 60 days. In urgent situations, you can request an expedited appeal. In the expedited cases, a final decision must be made as soon as required by your medical condition or within four business days. What if insurance denies your appeal for drug coverage? If your insurance plan denies your appeal, try filing for an independent review through your state's insurance regulator. 
as a last resort. This process can seem daunting, but the odds are in your favor because many appeals actually get approved. The independent review can take up to 60 days. If your state doesn't have an external review process, the Federal Department of Health and Human Services or a private review organization will oversee the case. Your review won't cost anything. Uh, if the government handles it, but it may cost $25 through your state or a private review organization. If you urgently need the medication, you can request an external review before the internal review is complete. Where can I find more information on medication appeals? If you'd like more information on the appeals process, check out these sites. Um, the healthcare.gov site the Patient Advocate Foundation, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, has tips on how to write and submit an appeal if you're on Medicare. And finally, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, NAIC, has information on how to contact your state insurance regulator. The bottom line is don't panic. If your insurance company won't pay for your medication, there are steps you can take to reduce out-of-pocket costs for your treatment and possibly get the decision reversed. First, see if there's a generic or lower-cost medication that will work for you. You also may qualify for patient assistance or copay assistance that can reduce your out-of-pocket costs. If neither of these options work, you can ask the insurance company for an exception to the formulary so that your medication will be covered. And if you're still stuck, formally appeal the decision with an internal review. As a last resort, seek an external appeal. Remember that every objection to your insurance company will require a letter of medical necessity from your doctor. Oh boy, we're sneaking up on the end of the time uh, limit here, but there's one more little article that I thought might be helpful for people. Does Medicare cover weight loss treatments? Let's find out about that. So uh, this is a uh, lifted from the Savvy Senior Advice Column. He's in Oklahoma City Medicare advisor or retirement advisor, dear savvy senior, does Medicare cover any weight loss treatments for overweight retirees? I just turned 65 and I need to lose about 100 pounds. Holy crap. And I would like to know if Medicare can help. And uh, overweight Owen is the guy who wrote that question. So the savvy senior says, dear Owen, yes, traditional Medicare does indeed cover some weight loss treatments like counseling and certain types of surgery for overweight beneficiaries. Unfortunately, it doesn't cover weight loss programs or medications. Here's what you should know. Uh, who's ex uh, eligible for weight loss treatments? For people who participate in Medicare to receive available Medicare-covered weight loss treatments, your body mass index, which is an estimate of your body fat based on your height and weight, must be 30 or higher. A BMI of 30 or above is considered obese and it increases your risk for many health conditions, such uh, as some carriers, uh, some cancers, coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, stroke, and sleep apnea. To find out your BMI, um, the National Institutes of Health has a free calculator that you can access online at uh, NHLBI, National Health, uh, NHLBI.NIH.gov slash health slash educational slash lose underscore WT slash BMI slash 
B-M-I-C-A-L-C.hdm. Try saying all that real fast 28 times. Okay. Well, I hope you had your pencil ready for that because I ain't saying it again. What's covered by Medicare? If you find out that your BMI is 30 or higher, uh, Medicare Part B will cover up to 12 months of weight loss counseling conducted by a medical professional in a primary care setting like a doctor's office. Medicare also covers certain types of bariatric and metabolic surgery for morbidly obese beneficiaries who have a BMI of 35 or above and have at least one underlying obesity-related health condition, such as diabetes or heart disease. You must also show that you've tried to lose weight in the past through dieting or exercise and have been unsuccessful. So weight loss treatments not covered by Medicare. Unfortunately, Original Medicare does not cover weight loss programs such as fitness or gym memberships, meal delivery services, or popular weight loss programs such as Jenny Craig, Noom, and WW, formerly Weight Watchers. I don't know why they would change the name from Weight Watchers to WW, but apparently that's what they're calling themselves now. Medicare also does not cover any weight loss drugs, but it does cover FDA-approved diabetes drugs that have unintentionally become very popular for weight loss. Medicare Part D plans cover Zempic and Monjaro for diabetes only, not for weight loss. So your doctor will need to prescribe these medications for diabetes in order to get them covered. Medicare also does not cover Wegovi or Zethbound because they're approved only for weight loss. The reason behind the weight loss drug omission is the Medicare Modernization Act, which specifically excluded them back when the law was written 20 years ago. They also excluded drugs used for cosmetic purposes, fertility, hair growth, and erectile dysfunction. Without insurance, weight loss uh, medications are very expensive, often costing $1,000 to $1,300 a month. To help curb the cost, try websites like goodrx.com or singlecare.com to find the best retail prices in your area. Or if your income is limited, try patient assistance programs through Eli Lilly, which makes uh, Monjaro and that Zefbound, or Novo Nordics, maker of Ozempic and Wigovi. So hopefully that was uh, instructive for people that are looking to lose some weight and have the government pay for it. And Randy, I would say that uh, that's going to be quite sufficient for now because it's raining outside. It was it was uh, cold and not so <laughs> rainy when we started, and it has turned into a rainstorm just in the last few minutes. Well, you know something, Doug? I discovered, I discovered something, a, a flaw in the body mass index calculator. I, oh, you know, boy. While you were discussing that, I, I just switched over to another screen and I calculated my own body mass index. And? And? I di- What's I the disco- result? I discovered I'm not too heavy. I'm just too freaking short. Well, that could be the problem then. And if you can do something about that, <laughs> let me know. But I think I, back to the comic books. When we were kids, there were always ads in the back of comic books. Charles Atlas was one of these guys that would uh, teach you how to look just like him if you uh, followed his program, sent him, I don't know how much money, but he would tell you how to uh, build a body just like his. Yeah. And I, so just, and I do, I, re- I remember those Charles Atlas things in the back of the comic books. And uh, 
the thing that I really, uh, Charles, Atl I mean, he was a real dude. I mean, he was around yeah. for a lot, a lot, a lot of years. Absolutely. It, taking money from the readers of comic books, a penny at a time, probably. That I don't was know. also, yeah, I was going to say, that's also the place that you could get that thing to put in front of your television set to make it color. That's right. And uh, also X-ray specs. My, X-ray my specs, favorite. yeah. Sure. And then so what, you could, what was the other one where there was some sort of a uh, thing? Maybe it was the Charles Atlas ad that there was like a 95-pound weakling on the beach and they were kicking well, yeah. sand in his face. He had a he had a hot girlfriend and the uh, bullies wanted the girlfriend, so they would come up and kick sand in his face. And yes. the girlfriends would say, hey, I'd rather go with the bully than the uh, kid who gets a sand kicked in his face. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Seems, well, you seems know like something? he's better off. Seems like he's better off without the girls if that's their attitude. Unfortunately, Doug, our seventy-five cents is out. We need to land the plane. And yeah. uh, a couple things I always like to take care of first. Doug's email address, if you need it, dbj at mlmmailbag.com. Don't forget, Doug is licensed nationwide to help you with your Medicare supplement planning. Check us out at the website at medicareforthelazyman.com. We would appreciate you dropping a couple reviews for us. It means a lot. Last but not least, thank you for joining us. You could have been a hundred different places and you weren't. You were with us spending some time on Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. And if you don't know, you just spent 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy from Oklahoma. No more. He's up in the high ground behind Cave Creek, Arizona. And I'm going to be nice to him today because it's raining and it's cold and it's cloudy. Mm. I'm going to put him down at about 5,200 feet. Thanks, Randy. I appreciate that. And ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you attending our most recent class. And we'll hold another one for you real soon. So please join us, won't you? Bye-bye. <laughs>